Now, what we're going to look at today is this idea that the blood of Jesus is precious. And to many people, this sounds bizarre. Why blood? And why is blood precious? I had had, I don't have anymore because I don't see him anymore, but I used to have a neighbor who had just this problem. Why Jesus? And we would have good conversations because I would set up my guitar in my driveway and I would turn up my amplifier too loud and I would play my electric guitar for the glory of Jesus as loud as I could swing it. And then people would walk over, my neighbor being one of them, and say, oh, you play guitar? And I would say, very nonchalant, I used to. And the conversation would develop from there. And we would talk about what's going on. It was the very beginning of the lockdown. And it was weird. And we would talk about things. Anything he wanted. But in the end, it would always come around to Jesus. Just know that if you want to share the Lord, you don't have to jump on somebody real quick in the first 10 seconds and say, have you heard the four spiritual laws? You don't have to feel guilty about it. Just talk with people and listen to them and ask questions. Pretty soon they'll, they'll start saying, well, what about you? And they'll ask the magic question, what do you do? And then you tell them because they know you're interested in them. And you know, if somebody gets the idea that you actually like them, you can tell them just about anything. So we would talk about Jesus and how love is the most important thing. And do you see that love? And is that love possible from any other source? And he would say, yeah, I see that. I see that we need love. But why does it have to be Jesus? I mean, couldn't it be some other way, some philosophy or some religion or something? You know? And we would talk about this. Talk about the problems that we face as a society, as a world, personally. And you know, the problem is that all of the problems that we face are insuperable. That's the word of the day today. Everybody go and look it up when you get home. Insuperable. You know what that means? You cannot get over them. You cannot solve these problems. That's all. That's the only problem is we cannot solve our problems. Because we can't solve our problems, our whole existence is threatened. I'm not trying to be dramatic. This is just the truth. 
We cannot solve the problems that we face. But we have proof that only Jesus can solve these problems. Only Jesus. Continuing proof. And we're going to look at why the blood of Jesus is precious beyond value. Are you up for that? Well, that's what we're going to do anyway, so buckle up. I'm reading in 1 Peter 1 from, well, verse 17. We're going to get the context, okay? And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So one reason that this blood is precious is that it is the blood of Christ. And you have to ask, okay, who's Christ? Who's he? And the answer is he was God. Is God. In verse 20, it says, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Some of your translations have foreknown. And you ask, so what? Foreordained. It means ordained beforehand. Thank you, Rob. Clearing up a mystery. Many mysteries you have solved successfully. Yeah. Foreknown means more than just God knew before something would happen. It means that he makes a choice, a decision, a plan. And God considered and made plans before he made anything. So there's no creation. There's no heavens, no earth, nothing. Just the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in eternity 
and God makes some decisions because he knew in advance before he would make anything that when he made man, man would sin against him and pollute his soul, become an unbeliever, and die. So we'll discuss what unbelieving means in a minute. But the Father specifically designated that his son would be the sacrifice for the sin of the world. Now, what God has planned is eternal. His power is eternal. And his purpose cannot be thwarted. Do you know why? Because everything else that exists, he created, and it's temporary. It had a beginning, and it's going to have an end. Only God is eternal, which means anything that opposes God cannot last, it cannot succeed. So here's what God decided. That his son would be the sacrifice for the sin of the world. That means his son is eternal, not created. Some cults teach that God created Jesus first and then let Jesus go on and create everything else. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus, the Son of God, is before all things, which means he can't be a thing. He is eternal God himself, equal with the Father in all things, very God of very God. Now, this provision that the Son of God would die for the sin of the world is an eternal solution. It is the eternal plan of God. It has the eternal power of God and his foreknowledge in it. Knowing everything that would oppose this plan and block it and try to defeat this purpose he has made every provision beforehand that his purpose would happen exactly the way he intends it to take place. Every surprise is not a surprise with God. Every bump in the road and, oh no, this is terrible, but God already knew about it, already provided for it. You ever play a game called 52-card pickup? You take a deck and you go like this and then say, pick it up. That's not a very fun game. But everybody thinks that life is a game of 52-card pickup. And the cards fall in random ways. And it's just, life is what hits you on Monday. Murphy's Law rules the universe. If it can go wrong, it will. 
But see, God plays it like this. He takes that card, of that deck of 52, and he goes, and before the cards land, God knows which way they're going to land, face up, face down, covered up. And he's made a plan about all that stuff before it hits the ground. So we think, oh no, I'm lost in a soup of 52-card pickup. I am the victim of random elements of chance. God says, no. We're playing 52-card pickup my way. So, God's salvation is complete and sufficient and adequate for every circumstance and every need because God foreknew it. And these things are contained in this statement. He was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Now, all this is about sin. And my neighbor has a question. Is sin a big deal? Isn't that a reasonable question? How big a deal is sin, really? Does it require all this foreordaining and designating and all that business? Is that really that big a deal? Because, as we discussed, we've changed a lot over the centuries, aren't we? Like in the olden days, I would be standing somewhere on the common yelling at the top of my lungs, and I don't have to now because I've got a live stream. And right now, there's somebody in Seattle watching me. Hi, Seattle. So I don't have to yell. It's not very nice to yell. I rant very quietly. Um, so we got technology in junk. Man, we can play Pokemon at turbo speed nowadays. That's much better than you used to in Martin Luther's time. Yeah, that's just the truth. Our Pokemon right now is the most technologically advanced it's ever been. Um, but leaving science and technology, I mean... I'm streaming this service on my phone. Is that crazy? No, it's not. It's just everyday life. Quit fanboying over it, Rob. Move on. Well, what else? I mean, we've got differing governments that we've had over the years. You know, we went from monarchy to uh, democracy. We've tried all the different forms of government, you know. Everything. Everything that's under the sun. We've tried different kinds of economic systems. Feudalism, mercantilism, imperialism, capitalism, communism. Different kinds of education processes from complete ignorance, just get out in the field and work. No school for you, kid. To, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic. 
universities, and finally the best Zoom education. But I mean, we've, we've changed so much over the years, haven't we? And we've, we've had every kind of religion and philosophy you can name. The gamut. Everything out there. Now, what I notice is that we are still dealing with the same problems that we've always dealt with. Okay? Governments are corrupt. People steal. People take what isn't theirs. They kill people. It's the same stuff. Let me read you a list of sins. All right? Wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossiping, slandering, hating God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, though they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Do you know anybody like that? Here's another list. Lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to the parents. Now that's twice that's come up. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Now, those lists are almost 2,000 years old. And yet we know people like this right now. Isn't that crazy? That means that this old list, ancient, went right through the Middle Ages, and now in our modern Buck Rogers, let's go to Mars, we got the same problems. And it doesn't matter what education system or government or economic system we use, hasn't made any difference at all. And the same results are with us today, and they are, we are polluted in our souls, and we are unbelievers. Now, when I would talk with my neighbor, we would even actually come to the real crux of the problem, and he himself would do it. That's what I found well, so interesting. And I'd just listen to him talk and talk, and he would say, you know, if we really loved one another, we wouldn't be in this mess. And I went, that's really profound. That's really insightful. Because really, that is the crux. You know, if people loved one another, they wouldn't hurt one another. 
No husbands beating up their wives or beating up the kids. Wouldn't that be fabulous? Home life is fabulous. I love my dad. Or business. I like reading the Financial Times front page on the BBC app. First of all, I don't have to buy a paper. And the second is you find out who is stealing on a huge scale. And you find out it's the guys in the government and big business who are manipulating to make it come out good for them and their families. And you read that stuff and you go, business as usual. But what would happen if they loved everybody? Then they'd say, oh, I shouldn't do that. That will ruin my company and plunge people into debt. And it, it would be theft. It would be robbery. I'm not going to do that. All of a sudden, we've got a government that doesn't cost our eyeballs. And no businesses are failing. And we're being told the truth. Wouldn't that be fun? We wouldn't have to watch conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory. That stuff would be out the window. Those guys wouldn't have anything to do. Wouldn't it be a hoot? So my neighbor and me, we would talk about this and decide, yeah, you know. It's all about love. If everybody loved everybody, life would be like fun. It would be really a hoot. So the problem is we don't know how to love anybody. We don't care anything about anybody but ourselves. We're about me. And we're arrogant. We focus on ourselves. That is the very reverse of love. And we just think about, well, who's going to love me first? I want you to love me first, and then I'll think about loving you. But you've got to love me first. See, that is pollution. That is the pollution of sin. And then my neighbor would say, well, well, okay, 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 but what does it have to be Jesus? Why can't there be some other way that everybody would love everybody? Why can't we do this ourselves? Now, this is unbelief. Unbelief is not that I don't believe in God. That has nothing to do with belief. Belief means I am depending upon God actively with my life. And unbelief is that we do not want to depend on God because that would mean submitting to God and doing what God says. And that's the problem. I don't want to do what God says. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. You know, because it's embarrassing to humble yourself before God. Anybody who's going to get baptized next week 
is going to feel embarrassed. You're going to feel weird. You go, do I have to do this? When you come out of the water, you're going to feel fantastic. You're going to feel glad you did it. But right up until then, you're going to feel like, gosh, this is weird. This is embarrassing. I'm in a swimsuit and a t-shirt in front of everybody. Do I want to do this? <laughs> Who cares? You'd go to a swimming pool and jump in, big deal. But it's baptism. And all of a sudden, you're feeling embarrassed. That's because you're humbling yourself and you're obeying God. And that is weird to us because we're proud. We don't want to be humble. Now, when Jesus went to his own hometown of Nazareth and he preached, he blew everybody's mind. His hometown, they knew him as little Jesus. And he's teaching the most amazing things from Scripture, and everybody's listening to him and going, wow, this is the carpenter's son. And then afterwards it says he didn't do many miracles then because of their unbelief. And the point of the unbelief was they would not come to him and say, would you heal me? Because they said, that is Jesus, that little squirt that ran around here. I've known him since he was, and there's no way in the world that I'm going to come to him and say, will you please heal me? So they have all the same diseases that everybody else has, but they just say, no way, I am not going to do this. I am not going to go to him and give him the satisfaction of praying for me. Uh-uh. See, that's the difference. They would not depend on him. Now, Jesus alone clearly reveals God. Only Jesus. He says, when you look at me, you have seen the Father. And if you're not trusting and depending on Jesus, you're not trusting in God. It says in verse 21 here, who through him believe in God. And he even said that. You read through the Gospel of John. Over and over, he says, he that believes in me doesn't believe in me. He believes in the one who sent me. Now, there's buckets of people in the world who believe in God. They believe in God. They're just not depending on Jesus. And because they do not depend on Jesus, they do not believe in God. That's what Peter is saying here. So, this is unbelief. This is sin to not depend on Jesus. Now look what a leap Peter makes. In verse 20, he says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. That's eternity, before God made anything. And then in the same breath, he says, But was manifest in these last times for you. So 
In one sentence, Peter fast forwards from eternity right now. He's revealed. That's a fast forward, isn't it? So what happened between eternity and right now? Revealed. Hi, I'm here. One thing happened. Before Jesus was revealed in history, he was concealed in Scripture. This is really important. Hundreds of prophecies made about Jesus in the Scripture before he came. Because this, again, is showing that God knew everything that would happen. And he made provision for every need. And he wrote about it in Scripture before, hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus, the Son of God, is revealed. Hundreds of prophecies in the law, the prophets, the Psalms about the Messiah, where he would be born, what he would do, that he would give sight to blind people, make lame people walk. Not since the founding of the universe has anybody ever gotten their sight back. Anybody who can give you sight, you know that's the guy. You can't mistake him for anybody else. He would suffer for sins not his own. He would rise from the dead. Anybody who doesn't rise from the dead can't be the guy. But he's also foreshadowed in the law, in the festivals, in the sacrifices. And again, there's one sacrifice in the law of God that was never offered, ever, in the 1,500 years since God gave the law. No priest ever offered that sacrifice. You know what it is? It's the sacrifice that you offer when you, as a leper, are cleansed of your leprosy. And the problem is, no Israelite was ever cleansed of their leprosy until Jesus said, I'm willing, you be cleansed. And he says, don't say anything to anybody. Go offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded as an offering to the priest. Can you imagine that? So the priest says, okay, what do you need? And he says, I want you to offer the sacrifice for cleansing of leprosy. What? I want you to offer the sacrifice of cleansing for leprosy because I'm clean of my leprosy. Serious? Uh, I'm going to have to go back and read up on that one. We, we, we've never offered that one. Uh, I, I've never done it. We're going to have to figure that one out. You know, just stick around and have some patience. We'll, we'll do this. We're, what? What do you mean you're cleansed of leprosy? You should be dead. Can you prove this? See, that was impossible to be fulfilled until the one comes along and says, yes, I'm willing, be cleansed. 
So it's all in the scriptures, even to the point of the very accounts of people's lives in scripture. So God talks to Abraham one day and says, Abraham, I want you to take that son whom I gave you as a promise from me, and I want you to sacrifice him on the mountain that I will show you. Offer that son up to me. And then just before he does it, he's about to kill him on the altar. God says, don't do it. Look over there. And there's a ram caught in a bush by its horns. Offer that one up as a substitute. You see, the gospel is even woven into people's lives in Scripture. And it's all there. And then at a certain point in time, this person concealed in Scripture is revealed to everybody. Do you know that this happened during Peter's lifetime? And he knew Jesus, and he saw Jesus in space and time and history. And you know, this was preached by the apostles and by those who knew Jesus and depended on him. And they put all these events of Scripture together with Jesus and said, this is that. This is everything that God wrote about beforehand so that we would know for sure this is the guy. No mistaking it. All that scripture, all that fulfillment. And so they preached. And what happened was these people believed in God. That's what it says. Who through him believe in God. You know what that means? They heard that word that was commanded them because the gospel is a command. It's not a request. The gospel says you're a sinner and you're headed for judgment and you are to turn around right now and you're to look at Jesus and you are to depend on what he has done for you in dying for your sins and rising from the dead. You are to depend on that. That is your righteousness before God. You are to receive him as your Lord and as your Savior. It's not an invitation. It's a command. Do this. And as you do this, you receive new life, the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of your sins. You receive eternal life. You're going to be born of the Holy Spirit. And you know, that's what people did. That's what the people that Peter is writing to did. They heard and they responded. They obeyed. They depended 
They said, okay, he died from my sins. He rose again from the dead. So it's done. And I believe that. I depend on that. And when they did this, they experienced the cleansing of their soul. Okay, that's verse 22. Purified your soul. They depended, they believed, and then they experienced the purification of their souls. No more pollution. The pollution was taken away. How do we know this? Can you see my soul? Can you know if I'm polluted or not? It's easy to say that. Oh, no more pollution. Everything's great. But how do you know it? The answer is, they showed the evidence of it in their lives. They began loving one another. Okay? And you've got to imagine this, that these guys are not the educated, the strong, the athletic, the gifted, the brilliant, the Bill Gates, with massive amounts of money that they could never spend in one lifetime. These are slaves, low, not that intelligent, and not that athletic. They're nothing. They're nobodies. And they're doing something that Bill Gates can't do. They're loving everybody. Do you see that? This is something that is unparalleled in the history of the universe is that people are loving one another. Because it means that their souls are not polluted anymore. Government officials can't do this. They don't love you. Scientists can't do this. Scientists don't love you. Businessmen, for sure, do not love you. They just take your money. And you know, they overcame racial differences, which is one of the big unsolvable problems we have today. So everybody's pointing fingers at one another, saying, you're a racist. No, I'm not. You are. Everybody's lives matter. No, they don't. Just my life. Well, they overcame all the national differences, all the differences between Jew and Gentile. So you got heads of state loving slaves. Now, the Apostle Paul, in one part of the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 6, he's actually kind of rebuking the believers in Corinth. He's yelling at them a little bit. And he's saying, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. You guys are like the worst. <laughs> but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So he's saying, are you guys crazy? Look at what you're doing. This is so wrong because you guys were purified. You guys were purified. You're born again. So don't do that stuff anymore. Stop it. Isn't that great? Now, if he was just a guy in the world telling somebody else, just stop it, you know, that would be like ridiculous. That would be like saying, okay, you stop it and you pigs start flying right now. It's like, okay, oink. It's not going to happen. Just to say, oh, well, stop doing that. That's all. Oh, thank you. Thank you, my life has changed because you said that nice word to me. Where's the power? But here is a group of people that used to be all kind of vile people. And now Paul says, you know, of course, that you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God if you keep doing that. So stop doing it. And they go, okay. Here's another admonition. He says in Colossians 3, do not lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And you know, one of the main examples is the, is the Apostle Paul himself. Man, he thought Christians were the scum. He thought he had to kill them. And stop that. And instead, he became one of them. Now, what explains that? Is that there is a God who sent Jesus, who cleansed Paul of the pollution of his soul. And the Christian church is the evidence that the real problem is sin and that there is cleansing of pollution through Jesus alone. And all this has happened in the last days. Did you notice that in verse 20? Manifest in these last times for you. Now, it was the last days, 
when Peter was writing this, almost 2,000 years ago. You think, last times? Really? The last of the last of the last of the last times? Really? That's a lot of last days, don't you think? Why can't we get going? Well, just imagine if Jesus said, okay, I'm going to wait two weeks now that I've been raised from the dead, and then I'm going to end things. If it only waited two weeks, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Okay, so one of the reasons is he wants to save a lot of people. But there's another reason for prolonging things, and that is we would not have the proof of history that we have right now. Historical proof that we've seen all kinds of changes and yet we've seen constants throughout history. Sin is the same. And it doesn't matter what system you try, it's not going to work. Only Jesus removes the pollution of sin. When people stop listening to Jesus' words, then you have pollution and overflow of wickedness, and people treat each other crummy. Only Jesus creates love in people so that they lay down, lay down their lives for others. And you know, it's even true in the church. My neighbor will say, well, look at the church. That's my big reason for not giving in to you, because look at the church. I go, so what? Look at them. They prove the exact same thing. When they listen to Jesus' words and they depend on Jesus, the pollution is gone. And everybody loves everybody. And when they stop listening to Jesus, then the pollution is there and they treat everybody just like the rest of the world and there is no difference. The church only proves that everything that Peter is saying is absolute truth. There's only being born again or not born again. The blood of Jesus or no blood of Jesus. No pollution, totally polluted. Now what Peter exhorts is to keep testifying to the truth of Jesus by loving one another. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently from a pure heart. Love one another. This is with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, just like you love God. And it can only happen when you realize how much God loves you. You can only love somebody else when you realize how much God loves you. So how do you know God loves you? Well, through the blood of Christ, that's how you know God loves you. At your worst, at your stinkiest, at your unlovingnessness. 
That's a new word I've made up right now. You are the stinkiest and the worst you could ever possibly be. Your mother would not love you. But God loves you. How do you know that? Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And spilled out his blood. In the blood is the life. That means a life has been given, and it is the life of God. And he did it for you to save you. So you know that you know that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God loves you. Greater love has no one than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. Now his blood never loses its power to cleanse us. John writes in 1 John chapter 1, this is the message we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's an ongoing work that's happening every day in the life of somebody who is depending upon Jesus. The blood of Jesus is continually washing you and cleansing you of sin. And did you know that that is exactly what blood does in the body? As your blood is pumped through your body, it's picking up waste products and taking them to the kidneys where they are passed out of the bloodstream. Your blood is right now washing you continually. Everything that's waste product and poison, it's just being washed out of your body by the blood. Now that's what the blood of Christ is doing for you right now. All your stinky thoughts... And your mind is wandering. And what is for lunch? Oh, that I had lunch right here, right now. And Pastor What's-His-Face is going blah, 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 blah. And I wish I could get out of here. Well, the blood of Jesus is washing you right now. We're good for 45 more minutes here. But I wouldn't do that because that isn't love, right? But just imagine... You have a stinky thought, and you say, oh, man, Lord Jesus, that is so wrong. Please cleanse me. Yes, I will. There it goes. And all day long, 
His blood washes you and cleanses you. And you don't have to feel like, I'll never get out of here. I'll never finish life right. I'm a mess. The blood of Jesus says, nope, clean, clean. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. His blood is continually washing you. Now, you know, if we fail to love, if we fail to show mercy, then there's no witness that Jesus rose from the dead. That's why Peter says that's the most important thing you can do. Love. You must love. Lay down your lives for one another just like that other person was the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Love them with everything you got. Only love solves the problem. Only Jesus can love. And here's the miracle. This is an unbelieving world that just does not want to depend on God. This is a polluted world. So polluted, nothing can clean it. And here's a group of people who love one another, who aren't polluted. That's the witness. So the whole point of this is you need that precious blood of Jesus. Apart from that, all the problems that you face in life are going to wipe you out. Guaranteed, there is no hope. But Jesus solves all of your problems. Does everybody get me? You know what the biggest problem you face right now? Death. And if he rose from the dead, he can solve your problem too. Do you see that? What are your problems in comparison to dying? They're just these little bitty problems that bug us on the way to dying. Yes. Well, if he rose from the dead, guess what? He's going to take care of all those little, tiny, irritating problems that you hate. Everything that's wrong about you, that you wish was better, he's going to fix them. That's not a problem. See? So you can think, okay, well, I'm not perfect yet. Well, as you trust in Jesus, you are right now. Anytime you're not perfect, you just come back to Jesus and he washes you. And you get to keep on going because he's fabulous, not you. Yeah, but I'm a jerk. Well, he's not. Trust him. Yeah, but I'm polluted. He's not. Trust him. Yeah, but I'm failing. He never fails. Trust him. That's what life is about. And he's going to fix all the other stuff. But you can trust him right now. And so, my neighbor says, can't we do this some other way? Why does it have to be Jesus? The answer is, 
There is no other way. You can look back over history and see men trying with everything they got and failing. Failing. And yet when they come to Jesus, he saves them. This is the testimony of history. Now, you may not like depending on Jesus. That might really bug you. I don't like this. It's humbling. And I'd rather, I'd rather look mighty. I would rather be respected and feared. I don't want to be laughed at for being a dope. Isn't there anything that I can do so that I don't feel like a charity case? Well, the answer to that is no. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. The one who believes in the son has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. And what you need to do is thank God that there is any way at all. Thank God that he does not require you to set off on a quest to attain whatever it is you're supposed to get. Because you know, first dragon that came along would burn you to a crisp. You'd never make it. You know, if there are any other way than Jesus, that would mean that God got it wrong in eternity. That would mean that the Son of God, determined by God beforehand, died for nothing. Can you imagine that? There is no other way. So you know what? God did not get it wrong. And to you who believe, says Peter, he is precious. Now this is is how to find out where you're at. If you get it, then you should love everybody around you because you get it. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is how I do it. I'm supposed to love everybody. Now, if you shrink back from that, say, no, that's embarrassing. I don't think I can do this. I'm just going to love nice people. You look nice. I think I'll love you. You, I don't know about. I'm not going to love you. You look kind of scummy. The end. I'm done. Can I have lunch now? If you do that, that means you're polluted. If you pick and choose who you love, you are polluted. So what do you do with that? You come to Jesus and you depend upon him. 
You depend on his blood shed for you. You let his blood wash and cleanse you. And do you know that when you let God love you and wash you and cleanse you, guess what? You have what you did not have before. The ability to even love somebody who's unlovable. Because that's something that Jesus can do, you know? He loved you. And you're pretty unlovable. You're a walking miracle. And when you receive his love for you, boy, you can turn around and love anybody. So, the real question then is, have you received Jesus for real? Have you let his blood cleanse and purify your soul? Only you know for sure. So let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you determined this before you made anything, that Jesus would be the only solution. And that makes him precious. There's no hope anywhere. Only in Jesus. And I want to pray for us all that it would be true of each one of us that we have received Jesus and right now we're depending on his blood. And if in any way we are putting our hope and our trust and we are depending on anything else, like I am going to work hard and I am going to get out of this, I'll prove that I can do this. We want to repent and turn away from that and only trust in the blood of Jesus. Is there anybody that wants to put their trust in Jesus and in his blood for the first time? Is there anybody that wants to do that? Let me know by looking up at me. Just look in my eyes. All right. Anybody else? You're looking at me? Good. You looking at me? Good. Good. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are people that want to trust in Jesus' blood, not themselves. We pray that through Jesus, they would become people who depend upon you. And we pray that they would experience this as they depend upon you, that you would purify their soul. And keep purifying them, no matter what happens. That they would receive you as Lord and Savior. We all need that.
We're so thankful. We commit our lives to you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.